Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I am joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, Florida survives and advances, theme of March. Yeah, it really felt that way, um, I would say. I, I do feel like Florida survived a little bit, uh, having, for most of the game, not led, uh, having Virginia Tech kind of holding on to things but never able to, to put too much distance in between. I felt like, I, I felt like Florida did kind of – survive right up until the end and then uh kind of out outlasted so it was like survive outlast and, and advance that was kind of my my read of this game yeah i think that's a pretty fair read of it uh florida was behind as you mentioned uh for most of the game it, over 30 minutes of game time florida uh trailed uh, it's unusual to advance in march when you trail uh, for that long, but Florida overcame a, a 10-point deficit in the first half. Let's start there. You know, how did Virginia Tech build that big a lead uh, in your view? Well, I think it started with, I mean, both teams were, were having trouble scoring. Uh, so for a while it was, it was close and then Virginia Tech started to score and, and, and Florida didn't. And, and I think we still saw just what's kind of been plaguing the Gators for the last couple of weeks where their offense is, is pretty one dimensional. Uh, they lean heavy into, to, into the pick and roll and they were able to make uh, some adjustments in that in the second half that we'll get to. But in the first half, it was a lot of the, uh, a lot of the kind of problems with, with spacing, driving it into trouble and, uh, just not really getting freed up. I mean, Noah Locke wasn't getting three point attempts. Guys weren't getting all the way to the rim. There weren't those drop-off opportunities to, to Colin Castleton. And uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's that's what kind of made the first half what it was, I thought, was uh, two teams that kind of struggled to score. And then Virginia Tech, you know, started to put up points and, and Florida didn't. Yeah, I mean, they get the the big the big run that gets them the 10-point lead comes from uh, Hunter Couture. They got him open on a couple of really nice actions, stuff that we kind of talked about on our preview podcast i shouldn't say kind of we we did talk about it and uh mike white took a timeout uh down nine points there and i thought a pretty smart one although obviously the uh hokies were able to stretch it to 10 but there was a key moment i thought in the in that point in the game about 10 minutes to go in the first half where virginia check had a nice drive after florida had yet another empty possession and colin castleton came up with a big block and you know, you and I don't talk too much about intangibles and body language, but because Colin is such an emotional player, it seemed like that block woke him up uh, and maybe was kind of something that portended what was to come. Yeah, it was really interesting, Colin Castlin's game, that obviously ultimately was was really good from a statistical standpoint. And um, yeah, and well, not just a statistical standpoint, he did have a really good game, but obviously he was a little bit quiet in the first half, but it just seemed like throughout the entire game, it was like, 
every bucket he had was was huge. It came at a big time. Like he didn't have that many points in the first half, had most of them in the second and overtime. So it was like every bucket he had was big. Every rebound he had seemed to be big. Like he seemed to get a whole bunch in a row in the second half when Florida was coming back. And then, of course, every block he seemed to have came at a big moment. There was the big one later. Uh, and that one's probably going to get most of the attention. But I think the one you mentioned as a little bit of a momentum changer when, uh, when the Gators needed it, uh, that was there too. Yeah, and so Florida, you know, ends up cutting the 10-point lead to six at halftime and, and actually had gotten it within one before yet again, as we've seen over the last month, they did not close a half very well, uh, particularly on the offensive side. You talked about them getting stuck uh, in their, their pick-and-roll stuff. Um, but another thing I thought contributed was that their press was getting burnt, whether it was early in the game or, or late there. Um in the first half, it was a little better in the second half, which again, we'll get to, but in the first half, you know, the decision to press was a curious one. Yeah. I mean, you see that Virginia tech has been, been so good uh, against presses this year, like we talked about. And also the fact that, uh, you know, Virginia tech kind of wants to make it a a half court game. They kind of want to play deeper into the clock. They're not phased by playing deeper into the shot clock. So the whole idea of, of, you know, Florida's press that takes some time off the clock. I just, I just don't think Virginia tech's the team that that's really going to phase. And, uh, you add in the fact that, uh, uh, that they were having so much success against it. Virginia tech was, and, and it's, it's not like Florida's looking to get turnovers. So it's just one of these presses where it's like the uh, it, it was high risk because they were getting burned from times uh, for a bunch of times, but it also wasn't really high reward because again, they're not really looking to come up with turnovers. So I thought it was a little bit of a, of a curious decision and uh, ultimately uh, yeah, a couple times gets, get burned and then they, they go away from it. But uh, man, in a game that ultimately goes to overtime or any game in March against a good opponent, those couple of possessions can, uh, can sink you. So luckily it didn't here, but uh, it did look for a little bit like it, like it might've. So coming out of the break, start, start at the end or, or talk about, you know, what transpired to get Florida back in the game? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe uh, Neil, you start with uh, what, what transpired to get Florida back in the game. Okay. I, I like that. Uh, so I, I did think that Florida's decision uh, to kind of abandon the way that they were pressuring full court and make it sort of token pressure at the half court uh, spots or really just before the half court spot uh, was pretty huge and, and effective in at least slowing down the way Virginia Tech was able to initiate um, Mike Young's really innovative offensive sets. The other thing I think mattered um, was Osiba um, Bede being in foul trouble, which is something that you pointed out on Twitter uh, very early uh, as being impactful. But I do think that when you lose a guy that's a primary ball handler that, that plays, uh, you know, less minutes than they're used to from him uh 29 minutes when he averages 35 like those six minutes are pretty significant um in an ncaa tournament game where so many things matter but still florida's down 46 38 after cutting it uh to one florida finally got a break on one of these ticky tacky technicals after being the king of teams that had ticky tacky technicals called on them all year uh they cut it to one train had missed the second one uh, but then a 13 to five run where again, it seemed like uh, Virginia Tech's offense was getting what it wanted against Florida's man. But I did like and find encouraging initially, at least in the second half, Eric, that Florida abandoned the things defensively that weren't working and kind of stuck with, okay, we feel like even if they want to play slow, 
we can stop them in the half court if we slow down what they want to do offensively and make them hit shots. Yeah, I've got to say, I, I was really impressed with Florida's defense in this one, and I don't think it was anything they really did schematically. I mean, in fact, they're kind of schematic changes, like let's try to press, let's try to play the zone that they did more in the first half and gave up some uncontested dunks. Uh, but when they just played straight-up man defense uh, for the second half of the game, I, I, I did not think that was going to work against Virginia Tech. Uh, <coughs> I thought that was a recipe for Florida to just get diced up by their uh, more complex sets. But, man, I, I, I was really impressed with Florida's defense. I thought guys really stepped up and, and played really well. I think this might have been the best defensive game I've ever seen from Scotty Lewis. Um, I think this was as good as I've seen uh, Tyree Appleby play defense. I, I just really think guys stepped up and it was a really good defensive half. And, and again, I don't really like, I, I don't point to any one change or, or, or tactile thing that they did different. I just thought guys really just got down in a stance and, uh, and really competed, fought through some of those, uh, uh, some of those back screens um, switched intelligently and uh, yeah, just uh a really good effort from a bunch of guys that uh, that we've been hard on all year as as not great defenders, truthfully. Yeah, I thought your I think your point about how good their switches were is pretty well taken because that's been a problem all season and against a team like Virginia Tech that just crushes you uh, if you don't communicate and switch well. Florida was really excellent on that, and you know, like I said, I mean, I think the loss of B Day hurt Virginia Tech somewhat, uh, just in terms of sometimes they seemed even after Florida would back off that token pressure, they seemed reluctant to like initiate their offense at times. And that tentativeness meant they were often starting sets with 18 seconds, 16 seconds on the shot clock. Uh, and the, you know, that 12 second difference makes a, a pretty substantial uh, impact when you're not, when you rotate and reverse the ball as well as Virginia tech did in the first half. And when you rely on a lot of that, because you're running so many actions at once, like, you know, they run a lot of complicated stuff and, and Florida just simplified things and communicated that leads to two scoring droughts combined in the second half from Virginia tech, one of the more innovative offensive teams in the country of 10 minutes and 20 seconds where they don't make a field goal. I mean, that's in a nutshell, how Florida got back in the game. Yeah, it, it really was. And uh, I mean, man, there was, there was times where it was shades of the Mike White teams of his early time at Florida, where it just really seemed like, yeah, you're not totally sure where the buckets are going to come from offensively, but man, they're really going to defend. And I, I did think, again, this was a game where Florida's kind of talent, um, particularly just athletically in length, really did shine out. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Naheem Aline has a fantastic game. Tyrese Radford has a fantastic game, but just, you know, looking at them on the floor, it's like, man, their, their perimeter is a lot smaller than Florida's. And when the ball moved, uh, Florida was a lot quicker to the basketball. And, and I do think there was an, there was an element of that. And then you also saw where there, there was some times where, um, Tyrese Radford, who did obviously have a couple of great finishes at the rim, but there was times he got inside and then was just kind of swallowed up by the length of Colin Castleton and, and Anthony Deruji. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely a throwback to uh, what we're kind of used to from, from Mike White's teams where, uh, yeah, I feel like they, they really did win this one with their, with their defense. Yeah, I mean, even when Virginia Tech did make the two buckets they made, and that, that was a 10-20 stretch that were back-to-back -back scoring droughts, Eric, where there were two baskets in between, and those two baskets in between were shots that on this podcast, these two basketball coaches, being you and me, if you make those, tip the hat and move on. Like they were Tyrese Radford low percentage jumpers. So uh, you'll take that. But let's talk about the play that, that I think you mentioned earlier. It's going to be the one that people talk about. Obviously, that's 
the Castleton block on the, on the straight line drive. Yeah, I mean, just uh, just incredible timing from him and incredible like body position to kind of get out of the way where he's able to get the basketball kind of flying by, which isn't always the best way to protect the rim. Um, I, ideally, you'd get there first and then go straight up and contest it that way. But he was uh, uh, not the, the timing wasn't perfect. So he had to kind of put himself into a position where he can attack the basketball and, and not not go body to body and commit a foul. He probably would have um, if he if there was any contact. Uh, but yeah, for him just to meet him at the summit above the rim, even though he was not straight up, he could reach out to the side a little bit. I, I mean, just an incredible block. And uh, uh, especially in a building that was, uh, lar- I don't want to say largely Virginia Tech fans. I, I'm sure there was other, you know, other fan bases there, but there, you know, I, I don't know if they panned any Gator fans in the, uh, uh, in the crowd, but there was, uh, there were some Virginia Tech ones and, and they were pretty loud at times and good for them. And that was great. But, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a silencer at a big moment. And uh just kind of once again just showed Colin Castleton as, as one of the uh, one of the emotional leaders of this team. Yeah, it was it was pretty fantastic, and yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of. I saw some on Twitter, but not much from the the CBS group uh, um, in terms of Gator fans that were at the game. But that that block, obviously, another inflection point in the second half for Florida, uh, paces them towards the ultimate victory. Um, but we you know, I think are remiss if we don't mention that yet again, uh, Florida, as they are so prone to do, made things a lot more complicated than they needed to be. Eric, they um, have the leather uh, up by three with 48 seconds to go. A simple inbound pass dictates that Virginia Tech was probably going to foul. I don't know if they would have decided to to defend straight up, but with one minute, five seconds left, they had decided to foul already. So my guess is that Mike Young was already deciding he wanted to extend the game. And a third-year starter in Noah Locke doesn't call a timeout, nor does the Florida bench. Yeah, timeout <laughs> usage, always uh, always a topic of discussion. Uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, I don't think Florida runs much of an inbound set there. That just wasn't great. There just wasn't that much action. They made it very, very easy to guard. I do think that Noah Locke had an opportunity to give the ball to, to Scotty Lewis, and I think he could have gotten it in safely. But I don't think he wanted to give the ball to Scotty Lewis. I thought he, wa- thought he wanted it to go to Trey Mann. So uh, it, it could have gone to Scotty Lewis very early. It wasn't there. He looks over at Trey Mann by the time he's there. Um, yeah, there's there, there's nothing there. He's not able to get it in. He looks back at Lewis. Uh, he, by that point, is is, is, is covered and, and three-quarter fronted. So, I, again, I think that's just got to be one of those things where you go through your first read, you go through your second read. It's not there. Um yeah, I mean, Daruji also is the third option, came streaking back. I thought he was a little bit late on that. Uh, not that I'm, you know, he's probably third or fourth in line of, or maybe fifth in terms of uh, in terms of uh, blame for this one. But but yeah, again, it's just one of those times where it's, you just you just can't, well, one, I mean, you, you, you've got to have a better play to inbound the ball. Uh, there was a couple division one coaches and one NBA assistant coach who texted me and, or not texted me. That's, that was an exaggeration. Twitter DM'd me and said, wow, what an, what awful inbounds plays um, after the second one, but mostly alluding to the first one. And uh, I think like you said, whether it's Noah Locke taking charge, whether it's someone from the bench, uh, you just, you've got to use the time out there. Neil, you are muted currently. Excellent job by go. me uh, protecting the listeners from my cold. There you um, go. <laughs> and your ears. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like 
you know, the first one was bad enough, but it came off of Virginia Tech timeout. So Florida had time to set something up and that made, it even, more, that made it even more egregious to me. It was, it was just like, how do you even make that air with a third year starter? The first thing you would tell your team is if you cannot inbound the ball, call timeout. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't happen. And, and it's a play, you, you know, we've mentioned players that, that played smart. And I thought Noah Locke offered a lot defensively. Like you saw what Noah Locke can do when teamed up with against a team that's, you know, doesn't overwhelm him with athleticism. That is something that happens in the SEC quite frequently, right? Uh, here he was not, and his defense was suddenly plus today, I thought. But uh, I also really like the way that Virginia Tech defended him, like as an aside. Um, you know, they did what everybody else did, but even better. Like, he just was not going to get to shoot a three uh, against them. Like, the one that they let him take, I think he might have gotten off two, but there was one that was like 25 feet and off balance. Like, they just weren't going to allow it to happen. They were going to make him make his floaters, and I thought that was really smart. But I digress, and that's that's beyond this point. Uh, Aline hits the layup, and as you said, the second possession, not even much better. I mean, Scotty Lewis did get pushed in the back, uh, so we don't know if the pass was necessarily as inaccurate as it looked but uh, pretty poor from Florida, something they probably want to work on tomorrow. Uh, Matt, I, I've got to say the watching it at first and, and uh, even watching the replay, I'm like, I don't even know if that's a foul on uh, Hunter Couture who fouled, fouled Scotty Lewis there. I mean, that that could have been a turnover. And uh, once again, just would rather uh, see something a little bit better um, inbounding the basketball there. Um, it's the little things that matter. And, uh, obviously they made it out of that one unscathed and then made it, uh, made another, made another error, uh, coming off those Anthony Deruji free throws. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's go ahead and break that down. You know, the only question I would have for you, I think we both agree. Well, let, let's do it this way. You foul up three, no? Yeah, definitely. Um, I also, not to jump jump ahead here, Florida didn't put themselves in a position where they could foul there. But uh, yes, as a rule, I am absolutely a foul of three guy. Okay, so, so that was going to be my. You, you jumped the gun. Oh, okay, I just oh, well, I, I know, and it's beautiful. Like I just <laughs> wanted to bring it. I wanted to break it down into segments, and and you were like, it's not even necessary. Like there was no way. The only way Florida could have fouled is if Trey Man had read what was happening a little quicker, and. In fairness to Trey, like I think he did read what was happening, but then was like, I'm not gonna foul him during the shot. Yeah, uh, that was definitely getting into territory where where he could have gathered. And uh, that's obviously the last thing you want to do is foul a foul a jump shooter and turn those two fouls into three fouls and uh, eliminate the whole foul of three thing entirely. But uh once again, I just thought so many things went wrong there. And I, I again I don't know if I want to blame this on players or coaching. It's might be some combination of both, but uh, right from the start, I mean, two players going hard after an offensive rebound in that situation, just completely unnecessary. Those players should not, I, I probably wouldn't have even lined those players up at the free throw line. Um, and if, even if they did, I would not say, Oh, you go way out of your area to try to pursue an offensive rebound that you're likely not going to get. So that that's a huge problem. Then suddenly Florida doesn't have a numbers advantage. Uh, so Trey Mann is out trying to, uh, trying to grab someone else. I know ultimately he is the one who looked late to his, uh, late to the, 
to the shooter. Um, so some people were like saying, oh, he's got to match up sooner. But yeah, when you have two guys going hard after the offensive rebound there, uh, Virginia Tech had a numbers advantage. Uh, so it was a tough situation and uh, just just sloppy all around. I mean, uh, you've got you've just got to know the special scenario there. You've just got to know, no, we're not looking to go aggressively try to rebound this set, this missed free throw up three with seven seconds left. Uh, you've got to know we've got to get mad, matched up early because with seven seconds, a couple dribbles, he's just over half. That's right where you want to foul under under five seconds by the time it's like that. That situation was like so perfectly set up for a foul up three. And uh, Florida just did everything possible to make sure they were not in that position to do so. Uh, but yeah, that's my read. What are you what are you feeling, Neil? Well, look, there's a lot of data that says that you don't necessarily have to foul up three, but all that data assumes certain time frames. Um, and this is one where they're in the backcourt and headed up the court uh, with, as you said, I mean, you got seven seconds from the time of the touch on the rebound. Like, you have to foul there. You have to put them on the line and then take your chances uh, that – You've been controlling the glass all day, uh, which we should credit Florida for because Virginia Tech is an excellent rebounding team, and and Florida just dominated them on the glass. But I think, um, you know, all the more reason. Like you've been dominating the glass all day. Take your if they're gonna make one, miss one, and try to get a tip back or something. Fine. Like any of that's better than the clean look that Aline got. And I I actually do take some. Uh some offensive at the people who say that the numbers don't support fouling up three, because there, there's a couple problems with, with every study that's ever been done. I mean, the sample size of people actually fouling up three is very minuscule because uh, there's so few teams that actually do it and coaches that are comfortable with it. So whenever they compare data, it's like a tiny, tiny percentage of, of, of people that have fouled up three in a tiny amount of scenarios. So they're dealing with a really small sample size. Uh, oftentimes too, they're, they're looking at any time fouling up three when you go by play by play data so you don't get in scenarios where teams have like effectively intentionally fouled uh when it's under five seconds so you've got some like noisy data in terms of like oh someone teams commit a foul by on accident with eight seconds left because they accidentally commit a blocking foul in in the middle of the floor uh with eight seconds left well that's not really fouling up three i mean sure it is but that's not like a tactical under five seconds uh, timeout. And then most of the studies have been with NBA data and in NBA data, you're only having three defensive rebounders lined up. So it's uh, the, the chance of the offense offensive rebounding is much higher than in college when you obviously have four guys lined up in the, in the key. So I, I know a lot of people were, were quick to say, Oh no, the data doesn't point it out. I mean like kind of, but uh, yeah, I just, I am certain when we're if we're having this conversation, we're not even having this conversation in five years because I think everyone's going to be fouling up three. Um, it's just a, it's just a it's just a matter of time in my opinion. So, uh, but uh, but anyways, um, Florida doesn't do that. I mean, I, I am interested. I, I I know it didn't seem like many media were able to ask Mike White about anything in the press conference. Um, doesn't seem like yeah, it just doesn't seem like many guys had the opportunity to ask uh, many questions about what was going on on the court. Um, but I do wish someone asked about the if they would have fouled up three because it's something we haven't seen from Mike White. We also don't see the Gators using intentionally fouling. They don't intentionally foul when they're in the single bonus. They don't go for two for ones. They don't do a lot of stuff that would suggest to me that they're in the foul up three camp. So maybe that was never in the cards. Uh, but yeah, once again, they put themselves in a position where. Uh, uh, even if it was in the cards, uh, they, they weren't able to do it. Well, Graham Hall said he was going to ask, 
and uh, <laughs> they never they never called on on our guy Graham. So brutal. Yeah. Well, Graham. The good news is Graham gets a press conference tomorrow where he said he's just going to go right back to it. So I was like, uh, that's fantastic. You know, I hope that you get more than one question though, because I'd hate mm-hmm. for you to just use your your sole question on a game that they've already had a press conference about. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, I wrote in my article at Saturday Down South that I was disappointed that you know White wasn't asked about it. And, and, and while I credited uh, Florida's defense uh, and, and White's adjustments defensively at really just stopping doing things that weren't working, but those are still adjustments. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're instrumental in Florida's win. At the same time, I thought the coaching in the last 50 seconds was almost cost Florida a victory. Um, so, you know, I think you have to point at that. One thing I wanted to ask you about real quick before we get to the overtime was, uh, you know, Paul Gators always tweeting at both of us about the refereeing. And sometimes we we do have issues with it and sometimes we don't. I wanted to say and, and see your take on this, but I thought this was a beautifully officiated game. And we don't talk about, like, when referees do a really good job and, and these this crew did. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was genuinely pretty good. Um, I did think that that technical on Virginia Tech was, was pretty soft. It was but, soft. Uh, uh, luckily, it wasn't in, in Florida's favor. So, you know, I will <laughs> – but and then again, who knows? Maybe something was was said. Um, obviously, a little bit difficult for my couch to evaluate technical fouls uh, <laughs> sometimes. But uh, no, I generally uh, generally thought it was it was pretty good. And again, I was actually genuinely surprised where late in the game, uh, where they kind of like you know flashed the graphic of of foul trouble and to see so many players on both teams in foul trouble, I was a little bit surprised because it didn't really feel like there was a lot of fouls. Um, and I think that that's kind of what you want, what you want it to be. Like if you're surprised that there's a bunch of fouls, that probably means that everyone was um, pretty loud. And I mean, yeah, you know, Sio Sifo comes in there and commits a whole bunch of fouls and um, Jason Jatobo gets in there and had some pretty obvious fouls. I mean, yeah, I, I thought that they did their job and uh, yeah, I'm glad we're in the NCAA tournament and they're able to, to get the good officials, uh, especially when, when some of them are on, uh, on COVID protocol. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely uh, respect the officials in this one. Yeah, twelve of Florida's uh, nineteen fouls in the game were were Jatobo, uh, Daruji, and Osifo. So, Florida's the rest of Florida's players did a pretty good job with foul discipline. Obviously, Noah Locke had the one horrendous foul um, when Florida had all the momentum and Virginia Tech hadn't scored a point in five and a half minutes, and I don't know what Noah Locke was doing on that particular play. But again, I thought Noah did defend pretty well. Uh, and, you know, on replay, I had a couple of people saying, ah, it seems like a tough call on Noah. I didn't think so. I thought it was pretty clearly a, a foul, but, but anyway, um, their rest of Florida starters did well. The overtime, uh, you know, just kind of more of the same from how the game, when it was flowing, was played down the stretch. I thought like Florida just, a little bit better, a little more talent. And then obviously uh, Trey man hits the, just the massive shot. 
Well, one thing, uh, one thing that I do think that Florida went to in the second half, forgot to mention it earlier, and then and then overtime as well, uh, was so again in the in the first half, I felt as though they were doing a lot of the pick and roll stuff with the duck ins and the dribble handoff into pick and roll that just kind of clogged up the paints a little bit, and and Florida that had Trey Mann driving into help and having things a little bit more congested. Where I found the second half and then overtime, they went a little bit more to like the naked ball screen where um, they put three players at one side of the floor and then. And, uh, and then they attack the empty side. And uh, I was at a coaching clinic once where uh, someone was talking about some kind of ball screen offense that uh, that had this kind of empty side ball screen. And he referred to it. Oh, I forget exactly how he put it. Um, but he, he he kind of said like, it was uh, it was ball screen offense for players who can't make reads in ball screens. And it was pretty offensive. Um, that was kind of like, it's like ball screen offense for dummies. But in a lot of ways, it really does simplify the read of the ball handler. When you put all of you put three teammates on one side of the floor, you're almost certain to know where the help is coming from. Uh, when you play a spread ball screen and you've got you know two players on one side, one player on the other, you're not always entirely sure where the help is coming from. You can guess pretty accurately where the help is coming from, but you're not always 100% sure. And especially with Florida, who's the duck in ball screens, that changes things as well. And and you're just not you're not always sure where the help comes from. So when you run that empty side ball screen you can almost be certain where that help is going to be come, coming from and even if it's not it's going to be someone who is directly adjacent to where you thought the ball screen help was coming from so you see where that defender is coming from and you can play out of it so I thought the Florida got a lot of uh, a lot of really good looks out of that so it, it was kind of a subtle change because they're still just running heavy ball screen um Oh, it's also so Florida ran 48% of their offensive possessions out of ball screen. Um, I think that that might be a high. I'm not sure if they hit the 50% mark, but yeah, definitely a whole lot of ball screening in this one. Um, but I do think they made a change to that empty side ball screen uh, offense that uh, then ended up working really well for them. Yeah, they also ran a couple handoff plays for Scotty Lewis, and we should probably talk about him before we move on. Kind of the return of Scotty Lewis. Uh, today, not kind of. I mean, it, it definitely was. I thought, to your point, I definitely thought it was his best defensive game uh, this season. Um, and, you know, he scores 15 points, hit a huge corner three uh, with Florida down four um, to cut the game, to cut it to one uh, at 54 53 after Virginia Tech. And it seemed like for a while Virginia Tech would either stretch it out to four or stretch it back out to six. And Florida couldn't get that stop, right? Like it felt a lot like the Missouri game. And then Lewis hit that big corner three, and that really energized the Gators. And then I thought Lewis energized Florida in their in his token pressure defensively, in addition to the way that he defended drives. So maybe talk about his performance a little bit. Yeah, I just thought he was so much quieter as a defender, like not jumping at every ball fake, not trying to get steals, uh, not shooting lanes as much. Uh, I just thought, yeah, just as much like quieter offensive or sorry, defensive performance from him. And then offensively, yeah, he takes a few three pointers that are really good looks. Um, he took one pull up two point shot that I I hated, uh, but he hit it. So that's great. And had uh had, you know, Jatobo and Niles Lane celebrating on the sideline. That was great. Uh, so that was not a great look, but still, but but generally speaking, I, I thought he did really well and, and picked some good times to attack and and use his length. And uh, yeah, that was that was as good of a, a performance as we're gonna see from Scotty Lewis, I feel. That was just that was great. I do like him on those handoff actions where he can get vertical uh towards the basket too. I just think him as a quick slasher is really the only plus side of his offensive game right now. And really he needs to stop, like you mentioned, taking the pull-up jumpers when the lane is there. 
like just go like, you know, and you'll either draw contact or you'll make the shot or, you know, you won't, but I'd rather have those outcomes than a low percentage pull up two from him, quite honestly. I think so too. And uh, something we also saw from, uh, uh, from Noah Locke, who has four two-point buckets and uh, and and a bunch of uh, a bunch of pull-ups uh, in the mid-range, and again, I just love that he stopped on balance, stopped on a dime, and and uh, did what he did best, and that's be a jump shooter because he's a fantastic jump shooter. He's not a great floater shooter, so it was great to see him taking some of those shots. I think that uh, maybe word has finally got to him that uh, those those pull-up attempts are going to be a lot better for him than, than floaters. So so that was good, but uh, but yeah, like you said, I do like that that dribble handoff um, thing that they run for, for Scotty Lewis, just because again, I do think that that's another kind of play that simplifies the read for him. It's like, get all the way to the hoop. And if someone's in your way, stop and reverse the ball out of there. We're not looking for you to recognize the help and skip it to the corner as if this was a spread ball screen. It's like you're attacking or, or, or you're not. So, so I do really like that. And uh, uh, it it was really great to see. Um, It was because uh, man, it's just uh, you, you know, was eating at him to uh, to not be able to play in an NCAA tournament last year, and uh, he kind of went into the NCAA tournament uh, with a couple of performances where he maybe didn't play as much as he thought he should, and um, I'm sure that was eating away at him. So uh, definitely, definitely fantastic to see uh, to see him perform at the his at his highest level when uh, when the Gators needed it. We'll come back to Scotty Lewis when we talk about the run, the 32 game in a second. But one final thought on this one: uh, five minutes for. Our guy, Niles Lane. How many points do you think Virginia Tech scored when Niles Lane was on the floor? Five minutes. Uh, we'll say, I don't know, seven or eight points. Zero. <laughs> wow. They had no baskets. No baskets. Uh, zero baskets. Um, what, is that, what, what, is that, what does that tell you, Neil? You can't, I know you don't want to just stop with that stat. <laughs> They got to play Niles Lane, man. <laughs> I mean, like, well, I well here, here's the thing, too. Like, we don't know, or I don't know if you've seen an update um, on Tyree Appleby, um, who uh, looked, I don't know, man, he looked wobbled. I know that he uh, uh, appears, appears he, uh, you know, maybe cleared some kind of concussion protocol at the time, but seeing him come off the floor, uh, man, I've, you know, we've all seen a number of concussed people in our day. Um, you know, I grew up playing hockey, so maybe I've seen more than the average person. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he was, he was not looking so good. And, and the one thing that is apparent when, when it's just uh, Trey Mann out there with any combination of any other guards that aren't Tyree Appleby, uh, Florida doesn't have many guys who can handle the ball. And, and that was the one rough part of, uh, of Scotty Lewis's game was that one turnover that he had, uh, with, I, I guess you'd call it a miscommunication between him and Colin Castleton, but really it was Scotty Lewis not recognizing whatsoever that he didn't have an angle to throw the ball in and then he threw it away. Uh, that's just what you get when you got guys that aren't great distributors. So I, I'm really hoping that's that Terry Appleby's all right. Uh, but if not, I do think that Florida has to think about getting Niles Lane out there a little bit more one for his defense. And, and two, because I think he is a little bit more capable as a ball handler and a, and a passer than some of these other guards. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a miscommunication. That was, no. <laughs> That was that was Scotty Lewis attempting to make an entry pass, and you were being very gracious, my Canadian friend, mm. um, to to him. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what Florida does in the second round. Their opponent, as we predicted, will be the Oral Roberts Golden Eagles, who upset 
two seed Ohio State today. Yeah, as uh, as as predicted by you, um, not even sarcastically in our in our past podcast, it is uh, it is Oral Roberts. I was not bold enough to pick that game. I know I mentioned that I really thought it was going to be close. I was not bold enough to put it in my bracket. I uh, feeling very disappointed in myself, um, much like I feel disappointed in myself for having uh, Tennessee win that win win today. I should have known better. I should have known better with Tennessee. I should have known better with Oral Roberts. Um, yeah, I really think that matchup was was awesome for Oral Roberts, and they played fantastic. I mean, this was no mid major or low major team sneaking one out against uh, against a high major team. Uh, they led for most of it. Uh, they had the best score on the floor. I think they might have had the two best scores on the floor. And uh, yeah, they just had a, a solid wire to wire win. Uh, super fun. Congratulations to Oral Roberts. Yeah, they were really good. Um, 59 of their 75 points came from two people. Uh, you know, and those, the thing about that is it's dangerous, but also if those two people are as good as Kevin Obinar and Max Evans, it's not really like it matters that much. I mean, those guys are. Are incredible, and and this gets me back to Scotty Lewis because I feel like, um, you know, when you watch Oral Roberts play, it seems like Scotty Lewis is the kind of guy who, who Ohio State doesn't have a ton of, of dudes like him. Um, you know, maybe he's a different slate maker. Maybe Niles Lane is a guy that can can get out there and be physical with Kevin Obinar. You have to do that. Uh, he's six eight, two twenty five. He can play inside and outside. He was five of twelve from deep today. I mean, I look at him and, and I say, Atmos is going to get his. The guy you have to kind of corral a little bit is Obinar. Yeah, I think so. And that's something that uh, obviously uh, he, Amos is going to get. Uh, uh, he's going to get most of the attention. But uh, you look at the games earlier in the season where they played Missouri, they played Wichita State, they played Oklahoma State, uh, they played Arkansas, they played Oklahoma. Like they played some really good teams. And O'Banner was he was like, he was the leading scorer in those games. He was awesome. And, and um, so was Aismas, but uh, it, it was O'Banner. That was the, that was the better player and, and more effective. So he's someone that uh, I think you've obviously got to watch out for someone who's just a ridiculous three point shooter, someone who gets it done in the, in the post. And uh, it, it, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy that the the best, like the best pair of players right now is looks like an NCAA tournament is, is coming from Oral Roberts. Uh, but uh, they've shown earlier in the season playing, playing those teams I mentioned that they can hang, like, I mean, they lost every one of those games, uh, but hang, hung in most of them. I mean, Missouri hammered them, but that was the first game of the season. They hang with the other guys. So uh, pretty interesting team that, that again, I think, I think matched up so well with Ohio state. Like uh, again, I think that you see, Oral Roberts and you see that they are undersized and Ohio state's a team that plays through the post more than, more than anyone in the country. And I think you look at, Oh, that that's probably a good, good matchup for Oral Roberts. And I think you look at Florida and you look at Colin Castleton, you say like, Oh, uh, there's a good matchup because uh, O'Banner is just, you know, six foot eight, 220 pounds, but it's like it's something that people may not know. And I only know because for a project I was doing early in the season, I had to scout a few summit league teams, but like a lot of these teams in the summit league play a whole lot through the post. And again, they don't have Colin Castleton sized dudes, but, uh, but a lot of those teams love to play through the post. So you, you just kind of saw that with how oral Roberts played against Ohio state. They were just so used to playing up 
against the heavy post-up presence. They're used to playing bigger post-up players. And that was just not as big of an advantage for Ohio State that that I think that they thought. And uh, I think that that's then relevant for the Gators is uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to think, um, you know, Colin Castleton should should really eat in this one. And, you know, maybe he should, uh, but not uh, not so much. Not so much, I think. It, It might be a little bit tougher than they think. Yeah, I mean, look, EJ Liddell had 23, so it's not like he he played poorly um, against them on the offensive side. But I do think that that O'Banner presents problems for Florida from a matchup perspective against a guy like Castleton just because you really are asking him to come pretty far away from the basket a lot. Uh, so Florida's going to have to be very good at communicating their switches because um, O'Banner's very capable underneath as well. And, and then obviously we all, uh, you, you know, people know what a good three point shooter he is. I mean, he shot 39% as a freshman uh, from deep and, and this season uh, at 47%, it's just like a absurd number. Um, it, especially given the volume that he takes and, and he's been an all league player. Whenever you think of the summit league, he's been an all league player since his freshman year. Uh, I, like I really just, when you look at this game, he seems like the guy that Paul Mills uh, or Roberts is head coach needs to be super productive for them to win. Well, and the other thing too, that I'm really interested in is Ohio state kind of does the flat hedge ball screen defense like Florida does. And because of that, uh, the the pick and pop is is really vulnerable. So he had a bunch of those opportunities against against Ohio State, um, and, and so I, I think you're you're obviously looking at like, well, what kind of uh, parallels can we draw from that game to them playing Florida? Well, it's like, well, he got 12 three point attempts off despite the fact that Ohio State was doing whatever they could to run these guys off the three point line. But because they do this flat hedge ball screen defense, uh, they have their big man coming out and having to stick with the ball handler for a few dribbles. Um, that keeps O'Banner free, and he was able to get a whole bunch of those pick-and-pop three-pointers. So I'm really interested to see how Florida guards pick-and-rolls because they haven't made a lot of pick-and-roll adjustments um, this season generally. And uh, they're going to try to pick-and-pop him over and over and over again to get him three-point shots. And I'm just curious if Florida's going to keep doing what they're doing and say, oh, we're going to rely on – someone rotating over from the weak side to match up with them, or do they change things up? So that is kind of number one thing on my, I wonder what Florida does uh, list. Yeah. So for me, I, you know, I'm not going to argue with any of the points you're making there. What I, what I would say is that Oral Roberts ranks 295th in the country or did enter in the NCAA tournament, Eric, in three point percentage allowed. Um, you know, we know about how good they are on offense because of Admis and, and O'Banner. They average 82 points a game. That's one of the best scoring teams in the country. Their points per possession are in the top 20 in the country. Um, but they've also given up a lot of points. They've given up an average of 76 points a game, uh, and they give up 35% from beyond the arc. So my question for you is what does Florida do to get Noah Locke open? Well, I'm really interested, like, like for, for starters, uh, something that's obviously very interesting about Oral Roberts is like, they have like zero depth, like, uh, so Banner plays 45 minutes, Acemas plays 45 minutes, Kareem Thompson plays 44 minutes, uh, Carlos Jurgens plays, uh, 42 minutes so their their first guy off the bench to shang weaver played 19 minutes their second and only other player that came off the bench sheldon stevens played four minutes so they essentially mm-hmm. play five guys 
ex- like exclusive or they they play six guys exclusively like really and, and i was looking back at some of their other games this afternoon and uh that's that's what they do so when you see that the way that they play defense like they avoid fouling like the plague because they just do not have the depth so uh what they kind of do is they play exclusively man defense and they really do pack it in because i think they know they can't be in situations where they're letting the ball get anywhere near the hoop where they, they might need to foul so you have seen them be a little soft on drives because they don't want to foul if the ball gets inside they're a little bit soft because O'Banner cannot commit fouls they need them on the floor so they are going to pack it in so we'll see if Florida just looks to get some of those like quick reversal threes or if they try to get uh Trey Mann kind of pushing the ball into the teeth of it and and, and kicking out or Tyree Appleby doing the same uh that would be the obviously the, the simplest way to do it because I think Oral Roberts is going to let them do that if they can get half drives into the paint they're going to help over and help one pass away and try to clog it up. So they can get a lot of like decent threes, but it'll be interesting to see if they run those floppy actions or uh, players like get Noah Locke starting under the hoop and then running off a pin down. Uh, we'll, we'll see if they decide to do that, but it might be just as easy as like, Hey, do we feel like we can get some initial penetration from Tyree Appleby knowing that we're knowing where the help is going to come from and, and see if we can pass it out and, and shoot corner threes. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, interesting thought because I think Florida's, like you said, they're going to get some looks, but if they can get Noah Locke going, it's going to create problems because this is a team that definitely gives up a lot, a high volume of threes, and, and a big reason that that uh, they won today is that Ohio State did not make those shots. They they shot twenty one point seven percent from beyond the arc, and uh, that's a big reason that that they were you know unsuccessful. I, I do wonder if Paul Mills because. Uh, he's a longtime scotcher assistant. Um, you know, might be tempted to not play man defense if if he had a little bit more depth. They had a player named RJ Glasper who's been hurt. It was their third leading scorer. And when I say third leading scorer, I mean that in an impactful way because he was actually a guy that averaged double figures to give them a third double figure score. He hasn't played in a while. Like I wonder if some of that man defensive scheme is by necessity. It's probably not something they're gonna change against a deep team like Florida, but but it is a kind of curious question that I have about them. Well, and I think that they look at Florida and they say, well, Florida doesn't shoot that many threes. I don't know if people are aware of this, but uh, yeah, like Florida's 264th in the country in three-point attempts. Uh, they don't shoot a lot of threes, really. So uh, I think if you're if you're Oral Roberts coming off a win against Ohio State and uh, you're playing against the Gators, who are a good three-point percentage team but don't shoot a lot of threes, I I think that you probably like your chances. And if you look at athletes like Trey Mann and and Scotty Lewis, and uh, I'm sure they're going to prefer if it's Scotty Lewis taking those threes than than Noah Locke, but I think that they're going to probably say, well, like we're certainly not going to win if Colin Castleton gets a bunch of deep post touches or if Scotty Lewis can get to the hoop or if Trey Mann gets to the hoop. So I I, I do think they're going to play defense in in a very similar way. But uh, but we'll see because uh, like Ohio State is not built like like Florida at all. Like there was a reason that you know I didn't mention that who I who who is going to win between Virginia Tech and and Florida. I was going to have beat Ohio State because Ohio State's just like not that big in the front court, not that big on the wings, not as athletic as you'd expect um, from a high major team. So. I, yeah, I mean, Oral Roberts obviously beats them and, and should be feeling great, and it's a great accomplishment. But, uh, yeah, there's not a Trey Mann on Ohio State. There's not a Scotty Lewis on Ohio State. There's not a Con Castleton on Ohio State. So uh, they might be looking to change it up. But, uh, yeah, by the numbers, look at their season on a whole. It's going to be man-to-man defense and packing it in. But uh, this is the time to throw out something totally different if you're a 15 seed in the round of 32. 
Yeah, why not? I mean, they, they've uh, they've shot three hundred. To your point, they've shot three hundred more three pointers oh, than man. Florida has this season. So, uh, just gives you an idea of that. Although, you know, one thing I would say about them is that they had a really bad loss to Missouri early in the year. Um, and while Florida certainly does not profile uh, quite like Mizzou, Mizzou shoots about fifteen to sixteen threes a game, and the Tigers shot twenty five against Oral Roberts. So they were they were more than willing to to kind of let it fly and you know basically use Jeremiah Tillman as as a decoy. Tillman only had eight points in that game, but uh Oral Roberts just could not deal with Pinson and Drew Smith. And maybe that's the the key for Florida is, you know, if if Tyree Appleby's healthy, if not, to your point, you know, it really needs to be a Scotty Lewis or maybe a ball handler like Niles Lane. Like somebody else has to come and help Trey Man. But I would expect Trey to have a very big game on Sunday. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we went the entire uh, entire game against Virginia Tech without really talking about Trey Man and his incredible shot making. And I mean, man, I've just ever since he came to Florida, I said, oh man, I, I love his ability to shoot off the dribble. And this is what you need in March. This is why cardiac Kemba is a thing. This is why these players always kind of, uh, that can hit shots off the dribble. They become so important in March. So, so Trey Mann had his moments a little bit there, hitting some huge shots off the bounce, stepping back. Uh, and uh, again, against a, a defense like Oral Roberts, that is going to let him shoot off the dribble. I, I would just love to see Trey Mann take, take a ton of shots. Like again, I like if we can get Noah Locke getting his feet set and, and shooting corner threes, that would be, that'd be the, the number one thing. But again, like, any any balanced coming off a screen Trey Man three is is going to be a is is going to be a pretty good shot. So we'll see if it we'll see if it comes to that. Um, we'll see again exactly how Florida wants to attack, but uh, it, it, that would be a, that would be a not bad way to go. Honestly, I mean we've been talking about for for a while now. Oh, we'd love to see Trey Man get to take more shots. That'd be great. And uh, Oral Roberts, one of the worst rebounding teams in the country. If you can mm. get uh, get him out to one of those empty side ball screens with three players on the opposite side of the floor, and you can get him taking one of those uh, step back threes with uh, three Gators on the opposite side of the floor, ready ready to rebound. That's great rebounding position. Could be a recipe for success, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look. Other than uh, you know, Dwayne Washington had kind of a tough one. Uh, if we're being honest. I mean, he what did it? What did he shoot out there? I'm looking at it now, yeah, seven for twenty-one. So he wasn't afraid to let it fly, but he was he was twenty-five percent from deep and seven of twenty-one overall. Uh, other than him, when they played a big-time All-Conference Power Six caliber guard, Eric Austin Reeves has lit them up. Moses Moody has lit them up. Uh, you know, we so we talked about Drew Smith. So, uh, you know, the odds are in Trey Mann's favor, but I still think, as we saw today, uh, uh, you know, Florida needed a lot of help uh, for Trey to, to win a game in the NCAA tournament. And I, I, I don't see that that's any different Sunday. Yeah, and uh, again, I think that Florida has obviously gotten into trouble recently with, with guys that are – driving a little bit maybe hesitantly and and getting themselves into positions where they get in a little bit deeper than they're comfortable and turning it over and and again like uh, if you drive the ball against this Oral Roberts team like they're not going to be looking to try to rip the ball from you they they're they they just play so so conservatively that uh that that pressure and those dig downs are probably just not going to come so this is definitely an opportunity for Trey Mann who's going to be 
the tallest perimeter player out there to get all the way to the the, the hoop and finish. And um, if if not, those those opportunities for for drop offs for for Colin Castleton are going to be there. So, yeah, I mean, this has uh, been a, been a great week for Trey Man. I just I would love to see him uh, see him keep it going. There's no question. Yeah, no doubt. And and to your point about it, I mean, they just played an overtime game with Ohio State, and only one of their players had four fouls. <laughs> so yeah. they're they're really in. I mean, one reason that they're so tough is foul discipline, and they don't turn the ball over either, Eric. Yeah, that's also pretty crazy. Six turnovers in forty-five minutes against against uh, Ohio State. That's pretty impressive. And again, something I do really like about. Like this is the way you've got to play when you're a low major and I love it. And I mean, I've advocated for the Gators to play a similar style, um, especially the a couple of the weeks ago. And I was saying that they Trey man should take 25 shots and should be the only one running pick and roll. But again, it's just like something I love about Oral Roberts is they just like do not lose games in the hands of their secondary and tertiary players. Like the ball mm-hmm. is in the hands of their best two players. 90% of the game. They actually played through the post a good amount, like a lot more than you might um, expect if you just watched, uh, at least they have on the season. I'm not sure if they look to do it against Florida, like they didn't as much against Ohio State. But uh, looking at their their league games, um, O'Banner, they played through him in the post a, a good amount this season. And uh, so it was either going through him in the post or it was uh, going through Asmus in the, uh, on the perimeter. So uh, I think when you have the ball in the hands of your best players, it's like, yeah, you can kind of understand why they have such a low turnover rate because they don't have guys who turn the ball over on 30% of their pick and roll attempts running pick and rolls. That's just literally does not happen in their offense. So uh, definitely something that allows them to just get everything out of their offense. Like they just squeeze every last drop out of their potential by making sure that every one of their shots comes from one of their, one of their best two players. So I I love it. I I think it is mathematically analytically sound basketball. And I think we just saw it to the purest extent when, uh, when they lead Ohio state pretty much wire to wire and, and, and come away with a win. Yep. I think it's going to be a challenging game. Uh, Florida, obviously one crazy stat is uh, that nine 15 seeds have advanced in the NCAA tournament. And three of those 15 seeds that have advanced have played Florida. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Florida has definitely uh, ruined some uh, some Cinderella runs in the past. So uh, I, I don't know what it takes to be a Cinderella run if it's uh, just the, just the one win for all Roberts here. But yeah, Florida has had uh, had the opportunity to do that uh, do that a couple times, and uh, maybe this will be the next one. Yeah, I mean, I actually made a mistake in a tweet earlier and said this is the first one where Florida's actually had to play a team with a with an NBA pro, though. So shout out to Kyle O'Quinn. Like, I did not mean to insult you, Kyle. Uh, I just totally forgot about Kyle's press conference after the Florida game where they asked if maybe they had celebrated their win over Missouri a little too long and not gotten in the right frame of mind to play the Gators. And Kyle O'Quinn, of course, famously said, yeah, I think that's probably true. <laughs> and florida won that game against norfolk state uh by 34 i do not think this florida team will beat oral roberts by 34 on sunday you know what like i i don't think they win by 34 if if i could be so bold i do think that florida wins this game with some level of ease i don't think it's going to be 34 i don't know if it's going to be 20 but again, I see that the way that that they matched up with Ohio State, like Ohio State played a super sized, supercharged style of basketball that they are very used to seeing in uh, in the Summit League, and the, the Ohio State just didn't have the players to really like 
maximize the uh like again ohio state's obviously a high major team but they're not full of high major athletes they're not full of high like high level size or length or that much shot making like again they're they're a very solid basketball team that but i but but again i just like i feel like they play a style that was so conducive to what oral roberts is is used to playing against and what oral roberts has dominated all the time in the summit league i i do think that again that's why i'm partially looking at this and i'm like man i i totally should have should have picked oral roberts to win in my bracket because i i like them a lot i should have liked them even more thinking about everything that they kind of broke this way um so again i think that Obviously, you, you have to have total respect at the fact that they beat Ohio State, but I do think that there were some factors that that definitely made that uh, made that game made that matchup really good for Oral Roberts. So if I if I could be so bold, I do think that Florida wins this game with uh, without without a huge sweat. I think it'll be tough. I think that they might Oral Roberts might end up having the two leading scores in this game, uh, maybe ultimately the two best players when we look at these these players in the next you know five years down the line who knows but uh i actually uh you know i do like the gators in this one i'm gonna put some respect on trey man's name and say that they have at least uh florida at least has one of the best players in this <laughs> game one of, one of the two best but uh, i respect that take and i think our our uh, listeners will appreciate it very much as well we will be back uh after sunday we could have the first sweet 16 show uh, in the history of Florida basketball hour, which would be fun. Wow. That would be, uh, that'd be great. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, would very much, would very much like that one. And, uh, Hey, maybe at the end of that podcast, if, if Florida gets a win, you can, uh, you can just like you, uh, were bold enough to, to call Oral Roberts. You can call Florida's, uh, Florida's opponents in that one. Yeah, no, we will, uh, we will be back, uh, to discuss, uh, the, in all kinds of weather, sweet 16 bowl, Florida. <laughs> And Chris Beard <laughs> coming up. I love it. <laughs> next, next week. So, uh, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.